and welcome to our class podcast for American Writers 2, 1865 to the present. I'm Dr. Carrie Tippin, your instructor and host, and today we are discussing Maridel Lesur's short story, Annunciation, and John Dos Passos' short story, Vague. Let's meet the rest of the panel. Hi, panel. Introduce yourself by telling us your name, your major, and your favorite fruit, uh, because, you know, Annunciation has a lot of fruit in it. <laughs> uh, Oiden, why don't you go first as our newest panelist? Um, hello, my name is Oiden and I'm majoring in political science. And my favorite fruit would be definitely watermelon. Oh, good one. That is yeah. a good one. That's a real good one. Do you eat it with salt or without? I think only people where I come from eat it with salt. Definitely without. Okay. <laughs> we put salt and we put chili uh, on pretty much all fruits. Okay, uh, Phoebe, say hi. Hi, I'm Phoebe. I'm an English major and my favorite fruit is probably strawberries. Good answer, good answer. I was thinking about that too. Hannah, say hi. Hi, I'm Hannah. I'm a creative writing major. This is my last podcast. I was going to say. You've done if anyone is tired of hearing me talk, you only have to hear it on Mondays now. <laughs> <laughs> I eat a grapefruit every day. I love grapefruits. Really? Okay. I have one right next to me right now. Excellent. I always like grapefruit, but it comes at a weird, I don't know why I don't, I don't think to have them, but that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, my name is Dr. Tippin. I'm an English major and my favorite fruit is pineapple with chili on it. Okay. Let's get started. So uh, again, we've been starting each of these uh, texts in the modernist section by thinking about those hallmarks of modernism. Uh, so which ones do you think apply to these stories? Let's start with vague. We'll describe it and give it its definitions and summaries in a minute. Um, but what, what does it seem to be doing in terms of modernism? Holler. Hannah, you wanna go first since you're unmuted? Oh man, I was I was giving instructions on how to find enunciation if someone hadn't found it. Okay, <laughs> vague, modernism, vague takes us into kind of the psychedelic realm. We have sort of this, it was, it's almost like cinematic, but with technology that it would not be possible at the time. I mean, unless it could have been. Could yeah, have cinematic. Been animation. But um, yeah, we have, Okay, I'm not gonna summarize it. I, Where do I stop talking? <laughs> I think let's go influence of modernity is what I would say you're saying. Yeah. It has uh, it has cars, it has airplanes, it has uh, technologies, it has a cinematic form. I think that's a really good word for it. Uh, it's very much like the opening scene of a movie, and then. Uh, like, uh, and then maybe that's all you have, maybe a tiny short film. Phoebe, what do you think, vague? I, whenever I was reading it, I thought a lot about how he talks about, or whoever the, per the you know, the person is, talks about um, like different places and kind of like that traveling kind of thing because yes. um, from little footnote, I read that it, I mean, it's short for vagrant, which just means you don't really have a place you live. So you're just kind of, going around wherever you can go. And I feel like that, like the whole settling thing was kind of like then and the whole like doing what you can is now, it's modern. 
No. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely responding to current events, right? It's the depression. There's movement. Uh, so that current event, I like it. Oyden, do you have an idea of something from this list? Uh, I'll definitely say language because the way that he talks and describes all the cities and he even shortens Chicago to Chi. Yeah. Yeah. And the first beginning when he short, uh, when he wrote vague of short and vagrant. Yeah. So I think that's very important to look at. Oh, that's good. I think it's both an experiment in language and also an influence of modernity. Cause like the twenties and thirties is kind of like the era of slang. Uh, I don't know if you've ever looked up like 1930s slang, uh, but they're making short words and weird words out of everything. Uh, so yeah, experiments in language and then experimental in form, I think. Um, some of his sentences don't have periods. Some of them aren't sentences at all. They're just fragments, one after another. Some paragraphs are only a sentence. It's not like a traditional prose form that we're used to seeing. Okay, let's do the same in the same order for enunciation. Uh, Hannah, what might best describe what's going on in enunciation? I mean, uh... This is definitely like a radical story like when I feel like she is sort of like okay so I'm talking about doubt or criticism of institutions reinforcing <laughs> resisting categories where she's just like this is something that's unspoken the experience of like a woman's body in this way person's body who can bear children whatever um so that's huge yeah, 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 yeah. Good. And she's definitely not doing it the way everybody seems to think she's supposed to. Her feelings are bigger and more different. We can talk about that as we go. Uh, Phoebe, what do you think? Yeah, I definitely think, um, I don't know if this would be experiments in form, yeah. but how she talks about how she just like doesn't really talk much and she just whips out whatever she can write on and that's how she kind of communicates how she's feeling to herself, not really, I mean, she doesn't talk to her husband. We'll get into that later, but like, she doesn't really have anyone to talk about these changes with. So she just is kind of like keeping to herself. And I feel like that's something that didn't really happen a lot before. Yeah, it is a unique form for a short story, right? It's a person, a narrator character who is physically writing the story for us. So we have the writer, but then we have this figure of the speaker who's also a writer. And there's almost like a foundness to it, right? We found these stories rather than we edited them and made them really great for publication. Yeah, Oiden, do you have any ideas? Uh, I would definitely agree with Hannah, that or criticism of institution. Yeah. Because to me, the story seemed um, more like of a feminist story. Yes. From yeah. a feminist point of view. Yeah. Because uh, I'll, I'll talk about the story later, but yeah. she kind of like talks to her daughter as if like, I don't know if you like the men or not. Yeah, yeah, I, that's interesting. That's interesting. And I don't know in that particular sentence if she means men, specifically gendered men, or like mankind, because I think you could read it both ways. But I'm with you on the sort of criticism of, uh, of like men and women. I think there's both of that in there. So good. Okay, well, all these, these two stories are kind of tied together by the depression and the working class kind of experience, which are both like 
modernity, the depression <laughs> it's happening at the time of modernism. But also I think it's a, a, a marker of modernism too, is that we care about the working class and we want to read those experiences and experience them alongside. Uh, so I have a list here on the screen of some things that are happening in these stories that are associated with the depression, but I wonder if there's any that stick out to you. So as you were reading, what were like the markers of the depression that you were like, oh, this is a 1930s story. I recognize this. Anything? Um, just based off of the title of Vague, I mean, he is a vagrant and he doesn't have a place to live. He's just yeah. kind of doing what he can. And that definitely was what first kind of like sparked my memory. And I was like, oh, this is definitely about the depression for sure. Yeah, that migrant worker thing, like where you have to leave where you are and especially go west, right? That movement to California, that's sort of the story of the Cal of the, the depression for, for me and from the place where I come from. Um, what else? Oiden, what do you um, think? I would say that uh, based off the, how he describes the work uh, for yeah. him and how he imagines about the plane that, oh my gosh, those rich people are flying, they have opportunities. And then he also says that um, even though he went to school, all those promises that he went to school, went read the book, it was false, like a false American dream. Oh, that's good, that's good. Yeah, the depression is definitely one of those like, false American dream eras where, you know, in the twenties you could do everything right. And then the stock market crashes in 1929 and it doesn't matter, right? So everybody can become poor. Everybody can become, you know, um, in dire straits. Yeah, maybe Hannah, one from you. Oh, uh, mine is boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, what I was thinking of again, it's just, it's, these markers of the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, we have this acknowledgement of like means of travel, but also at the end, he's talking about this like dream of glamor that's now kind of been established in the United States of like the like silver screen casino town vibe. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's good. That's good. Maybe part of that like wealth gap thing. But I think also, man, let's think about movies. I think movies are important. Ever since you said cinematic, Hannah, it's got me thinking. Um, so Meredith Lesur, I don't know if you read this in the head note, was a stunt woman in silent films. So I know, what a, <laughs> how many badass ladies can we get in this class? You're welcome. Um, yeah, so she's a stunt woman in silent film. So films exist in this time. And so I think there's, I, I'm, I'm interested in what you were saying, Hannah, about how those films maybe have put in our imagination a kind of wealth or experience that most of us are not experiencing in real life. And that disconnect between what's possible and what I am living through is so large. I would love to respond to this because I feel like this is setting us, like I'm tripping right now. It's like setting us up for so much of American history is the images of a standard of life that's out of reach for most of its citizens. It makes me think of like the movie, like Paris is Burning. I don't know. Where, oh my God. Okay, everybody watch this movie. That's it's called Paris is Burning. It's on Netflix. It's about, um, 
like drag and ballroom culture um, in New York City in the 80s. And it's people who I don't think anyone in the movie is white and they're modeling. They're looking at all of these like fashion magazine and movie images of upper middle class white life and finding ways of like accessing that sensation for themselves and creating it for themselves. This is just a huge part of the United States and art in the United States. Agreed, agreed. And I don't know if it starts here, but I think this image that's central to Vague that Phoebe will tell about us now uh, is exactly what you're describing, like physically what you're describing. Uh, Phoebe, tell us what Vague is about in one sentence if you'd like. <laughs> okay, so it's basically just about this young guy who is a vagrant, so he doesn't, I mean, he's not really, he doesn't have a set steady work job he just is kind of like doing what he can and he's going around and then he talks about I mean like whenever he's mentioning the places that he I don't know if it's where he's been or just he's is it where he's been not really or is it just <laughs> enough places well each place he lists moves further west yeah. and then he kind of talks about how um, how Oyden was saying earlier, where he has all this preparation, he he read the books, he did what he could, and now everybody is kind of in this situation where he's just, everybody just kind of doing what they can on the road, moving, yes. working, yeah. Yes, good, good. Uh, Oyden, would you add anything to that, or do you have any clarifying questions, maybe? Um, I would definitely um, think of what does each place mean, like Phoebe said. Yeah. Yes, we have your- Yes, as she said, it's moving further to south. Yeah, okay, cool. Maybe I'll step in and clarify a little bit and then you can tell me if this makes sense. So we do have a guy on the road and he's hitchhiking. Did you catch that? So he sticks out his fist with his thumb up. He's trying to hitchhike uh, to go west. Um, and while he's on the side of the road waiting for a ride, an airplane passes over. And then starting in those parentheses in the middle of the page, uh, he like has a dream maybe, or like the narrator has a dream about what's happening in that airplane. So the cities that you're mentioning going west, that's the airplane going west. So not the, not the character, the vagrant person, uh, but the airplane moving west. Um, and that airplane is full of rich people, right? Super rich people even, uh, people who are so rich that they can throw up their food uh, by being airsick and then be like, no big deal. I'll just eat again when I get to LA while the vagrant guy is like, I haven't eaten and I don't know how long, right? So I was thinking about what Hannah was saying about being out of reach. We have a guy with his thumb up and then literally out of reach above his head is this other world. And so the two worlds for a moment are like over each other and then they kind of pass um, and go on. So yeah, nothing happens, Phoebe, you're right. No, nothing happens in the story, um, but it is uh, like a sketch. He describes his own writing as an, uh, in what is the word? Impressionist sketch, an impressionist sketch. Hannah as an art person, does that mean anything to you to be an impressionist sketch? <laughs> I guess what I think of with impressionism is when we're still getting scenes of life, but in a way that's more um, emotional and like colorful and transcendent. That's my first association. Um, 
Yeah, where he's talking about real things, but in this extra real way. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about how Impressionist paintings are like just dots or daubs, but like on their own, they're each a brush stroke, but and you can see the individual strokes, but then you can also see the scene as well. And I feel like maybe that's what's going on here. There's a- Wow, that's so nice. I thought you would say that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right, well, let's start with Oyden's question. So Oyden's question was about the special places, the smells, the looks of those cities. Do those places mean something? Do you have a guess, Oyden, or what's what, what brought this question to your mind? I don't know. When I was reading it, um, he described each city, city and state so detailed in depth. Ever like even the smell of it, how it looks. So I like maybe he been to those places and he misses it. Could he misses be it. or someone close to him lives there who yeah. can write him letters and describe it. Maybe it's like his dream to visit to visit the city. So I was really confused at that point. You are. Those are all really good readings. So you're imagining that this is the the vague, uh, the narr. He's not really the narrator, but like the central figure, the person. Uh, is when he's thinking about where the plane is going, he's also thinking about what the plane is passing over. I like that idea. Phoebe, do you have an idea why these places? I have a list of them. Uh, why, why, why start in New York and end in LA? Why pass over these locations? Well, I remember from the last podcast I was on, we were talking about how kind of like, if you could there was like a weird thing where if you could afford to move west then you should but also like people who were moving west couldn't afford it and that's why they were going yeah yeah so i'm thinking like he's obviously he's you said he was hitchhiking so he wants to i'm assuming go west so he can like work and he's just kind of like maybe thinking about how life could be but it's not yeah. because he's hitchhiking yeah, so I said this, you didn't see my arms podcast listeners, but that they were passing each other going opposite directions, but it might also be that they're passing each other going the same direction, uh, which might even be standing still and passing west. Uh, even though they both wanna go to the same place, uh, they're not moving at the same speed. Ooh, Hannah, do you have an idea about any of these locations? Why Cleveland, Chicago, Mississippi, Iowa, Omaha, Cheyenne, Las Vegas? Oh man. Cheyenne, I wish I knew more about because it's like you see it on road signs all the time. And <laughs> I'm crazy. like, I love that word. What's going on there? I mean, my assumption is that these are places with some industry, but what do you think? Also, what is Cheyenne? I don't know. I think it's on the way west. I mean, that helps. And it also kind of marks like we've got one of everything. So, Ohio, Illinois, Mississippi, Iowa. Kansas, Wyoming, Nevada, California. So I make, maybe it's literal. Literally, we're just passing over these towns. That's where we are. But I think they also demonstrate a broadness of like Cleveland to Chicago. We've read stories with where Cleveland is the city, right? In Winesburg, Ohio, that's the evil city where people die. Uh, Chicago has been a huge figure in lots of the things that we've read. And then also California. So there's kind of that, that westward, I don't know. I think maybe there are some associations with each of those places, but they might also just be passing over the various kinds of America. Yeah, it's going America. Exactly. <laughs> I made an arch with my palm just now, podcast listeners. 
Yeah, I like, I think it's important to describe your hand gestures. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, so Phoebe, you were also like, where does the story even take place? Uh, it does not take place in Cleveland, Chicago, Mississippi, uh, Iowa, any of those specific locations. It's kind of, it's kind of vague, you're right. Do you have an idea why, Phoebe? I don't, but I'm gonna guess. I think it's because maybe it can apply to several kinds of people from several different places. Yeah. And like kind of how you were talking about the hand gesture where he was staying still and the people were going above him. Maybe like, I don't know, he like everybody could be starting in different places. So maybe this person only has like a little bit to go to the West, but then somebody in yeah. Cleveland has the whole nine yards to go, you know? Yeah. So this vagrant person could be in every one of those cities. There's someone just like him that's being passed over by this plane. Yeah. Okay. Any other ideas, Oiden, Hannah? Uh, I was definitely interested in how he definitely knows the uh, which cities. Uh, I mean, which states does the plane passes by? He says it starts in New York and ends in LA. But how does he know it? Like, is, does he live in New York or does he live in the middle? He just guessed it. Mm -hmm. Good question. How does he know? Uh, I mean, it might be like what Hannah started out with, which was being aware of what wealthy people do, like knowing they're the, the path of the flight from New York to LA, but not ever experiencing it yourself. But you still might be aware of it. Hannah, what are you thinking? Is it that the vagrant knows these things or just that the writer knows these things? That is also a question, right? I think that's a good, a good thing to bring up. Um, yeah, we do need to be careful that just because there is a, a title character, he's not actually narrating anything, right? That's a good, that's a good point. I was thinking, what I am interested in its vagueness is because it is in between places, uh, in what we call a liminal space. Is this a word you know? Liminal space? Yeah, and I imagined you did. Uh, a space in between places is a liminal space. It's not quite here and it's not quite there. Uh, like an airplane is not in Cleveland, it's above Cleveland. Uh, it left New York and it's not in LA, it's somewhere in between the whole time. So it's not a real place. Uh, anytime you pinpoint where you think it is, it's already moved past that point, you know? Uh, and I'm also suggesting that maybe outside of the town, a highway in between places, he also has one foot on one thing and one foot on a different thing. Did you notice that too? On 951, a man waits at the edge of the concrete. He's sort of like on the edge of things, in between things. He's not really any place either. What do you think about that? Why tell a story that's in no place or that's only about in between places? What's the point of doing that? Hannah, do you have a thought? That's what the vagrant is. Yeah, a person in between. Yes, who has not been given this place. It's like, yeah. um, I feel like he's further defining that. The, the correlation with the airplane is a really interesting one. I think so too, because he could have picked anything, right? What if a train had passed by? full of like luxurious dining cars. That'd be a totally different kind of story, right? It'd still be liminal, you're still in between, but not quite as in between as when you are above. So it's, 
I think it's less important where in America it is and more important where, <laughs> right? The, the, the stratosphere is even. Yeah. Phoebe, does that make you feel better about its vagueness? Yeah, I was thinking about how like, I mean, the word vague is literally the title, but not, you know? Right. But, <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely agree with what Hannah said, where it's like, it takes place in these liminal spaces because a vagrant does not have a space. But then also kind of like how I was saying, just like relatable content, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay, I won't answer my question anymore. Um, I want to talk about enunciation. Hannah, I was so glad that you were on this podcast because I knew from the very beginning you would love this story, right? Am I right? Did you love it? I did. I cried. I cried, everyone. I cried a lot while reading this. I thought you might. Uh, Why don't you? Uh, oh, sorry. I wanted Oiden to start the. the do it. Yeah. Do you want to start? Uh, so the story starts, um, it's a short story about a woman who writes letters for her unborn child. It's like she's preparing her for something, writing, like, so, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, yeah, yeah. story is more of a feminine side because she's, she doesn't talk about much about her husband. She doesn't mention him as from what I read. And also she describes to her daughter as like, I don't even know if you're, if you will like the man in the world, if the, you will like their character out, I think. Yeah, yeah. Some kind of men hurt her in the past and she's against the man or she's so, um, I would say- Doesn't matter. danger. Yeah. So, yeah. I like it, I like it. Hannah, you wanna take over? Um, so it's the Great Depression. She's pregnant. This guy she's with who might be her boyfriend or husband. I'm not sure. Husband. They haven't been married very long. She does talk okay. about being married. No, no, no. Just kidding. She's talking about someone else. Just, uh, yeah, they're together. Go ahead, Carl. Yeah, it's like, she's like, oh, people think he's my husband or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At some point where I'm like, is this her brother? um but I don't know this guy's pissed he's like oh my god I'm so annoyed that you decided to have this kid what's wrong with you we have no money and he's really struggling to get some and she's just like too bad I'm having this baby papa don't preach (laughs) she has this like really beautiful experience that she details she talked okay also she talks about the experience of writing she needs to capture this really intense and special experience so she's just like whatever she can she's like writing on pieces of paper and stuffing them in her bra and um yeah she has this crazy psychedelic experience where she's just like unified with other people in the world and fruit trees and she's like no one's ever written what it feels like to be a pear and I no one's ever written what it feels like to be me like a pregnant woman it's so beautiful two thumbs up really messed me up would recommend (laughs) yes I think you're right it it had for me echoes of yellow wallpaper 
So like another woman who's trapped in an upper room, who's sort of looking out at the world and, and, and kind of dissolving the spaces between herself and her surroundings in the same way that the yellow wallpaper narrator disappears into the paper. She sort of disappears into the trees a little bit. Uh, yes, I think you got it. I think you got it. Um, good, good summary. So I would say one of the most interesting things about this story is that frame of the narrator writing and the reader sort of stumbling upon these deeply private kind of, of thoughts. And she's kind of recording them. It, it's hard to tell. She's not really writing them to her daughter. She does not say you. Also, we said daughter, but I don't know that we really know that it's a, a girl so much, but it feels like a daughter, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit, this child. Um, yeah, so who is being, she's writing the, who she is addressing this writing to, I think is a little less clear. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what you started with, Oiden. So you've mentioned um, a sort of feeling like it's dangerous. It's dangerous to have this child. Why do you, what do you think? Why do you think it's dangerous? Why might she feel like it's dangerous? Um, because she takes was extra uh, she cares about her daughter extra cautiously yeah. and she's so gentle about it she's like oh my little baby and uh, she even uh rereads the um, letters that she wrote to her to her baby unborn child she re reads it herself as like a reminder to herself or something yeah and also i'm i realized that the author i don't know how to pronounce her name Meridel. Meridel. Uh, I was talking about her license, but okay. <laughs> and uh, she talks about the pregnancy as something, um, as something beautiful that was gifted to her, and not as a privilege, or I mean, as as an obligation or a duty that she has to take care of. I think that's really interesting because everybody who speaks to her about her pregnancy is like, what a foolish obligation. What a duty you don't need. Uh, the woman close to the end even like apologizes. I'm so sorry this happened to you. Uh, there's a lot of pity for her. And she does not feel pity for herself, Oid. And I think that's really a good thing that you point out. She's very proud of it and she's excited about it. Like, supernaturally excited even a little bit about it. I think the the letter that you were talking about reading to her child, that's on my my 106 and 107 or 1006 and 1007, uh, where she's kind of talking to the baby. Tonight, the world into which you are coming is very strange and beautiful. That is the natural world is beautiful. I don't know what you will think of man slash mankind slash men people, uh, but the dark glisten of vegetation and the blowing of the fertile wind and the delicate strong step of the sea wind, these are familiar to me and will be familiar to you. Like, it's good to be a, a pregnant person in her mind. It's good. So dangerous, but also great in a lot of ways. Phoebe, you wanted to talk about the recurring nature imagery, and I think we cannot ignore it any longer. It's the most important part of the story. What are you interested in there, Phoebe? I wanna know if it is supposed to just symbolize, like if every everything is supposed to symbolize one specific thing uh, or if it's like just this broad kind of like more on like a wider scale kind of moment, you know? That's a good question. So is the pear tree 
at the center a very specific symbol or is it like nature is it, nature at large is the one thing? That's a good question. Yeah. Do you have a sense of one way or the other, Phoebe? Um, I kind of was thinking about like throughout the story, nature kind of serves as like, I don't know how I want to word this, <laughs> almost like she's like distracting herself from everything horrible that is going on with yeah. the nature symbolism and like her focusing on a pear tree and like ignoring her jerk about whoever she's with yeah. like more it's I don't know she finds more relationship with these like trees and flowers and fruits rather than like the people around her because they're just horrible and everything that is happening in the world is horrible but it's still so beautiful yeah talk about a criticism of an institution right uh maybe humans are garbage but trees on the other hand thumbs up as Hannah would say uh trees are great what do you think uh Hannah do you have a sense is there is there a specific one-to-one -one with these images or are they kind of a, a large group or is there a natural image that interests you the most I uh, feel like it's almost this panning type of thing where we're seeing things broadly and then in like this like specific sensuous detail um and I feel like it's just like this overall awareness of life I mean the part that really gets me is uh I am also read it online so I don't have a page number but I'll just read it to you but she says the bony skeleton of the mountains like the skeleton of the world jutting through its flowery flesh my child too would be made of bone. And it's like, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, like that, that oneness you talked about, right? The mountains and my baby, same thing. I'm so interested in what Phoebe just said of finding like respite or solace in these aspects of the natural world um, where it feels like she is definitely like saving herself in this and she's like I'm running towards truth and I'm like running towards fear in this and like this society that exists and is telling me like this is all wrong like whatever I'm gonna go around that to like the garden out back where I can look at a tree and know that it's like really important. <laughs> I think that's beautiful that's really great well and there it's not like a good pear tree and it's not like a a blooming at the beginning of spring pear tree. It's the end of fall pear tree. So she's really looking at a scraggly, like broken tree, but she's like, oh, that's the tree of life. Like she's seeing more than is there even, uh, even more than is actually there. And then she definitely does that people, like babies are mountains and people are pears. So <laughs> on, on my 1005, she's talking about like, thinking about other women, especially. Um, and if maybe everyone uh, was a pair hung at one time, each separate in a mist and bloom upon some invisible tree, uh, is it possible that we're all just little fruits hanging out in the world? This is why I asked you about your favorite fruits. Uh, she describes her own body as a pomegranate. Do you have any particular associations with pomegranates? You got a mythological reference maybe in your back pocket? Oh, there is one. 
Yeah. There. Okay. Give it up. Let us know. Yeah. If Haley okay. or she would know. Phoebe, do you know? Is it something with Persephone? It Maybe. is with Persephone. It is. Is yes. it? I don't remember exactly what it is, but that's all I got. Good enough for me. <laughs> so Persephone <laughs> is um, like the daughter of Demeter, who's like the goddess of nature. And Hades comes and kidnaps her and takes her to the underworld. And that's how we get winter um, because Demeter says like, no more crops because she's gone. Um, and he tricks her into eating pomegranate seeds, which is like the food of the dead. And now that she's eaten them, she has to come back to the dead every half a year. So that's why we have spring and that's why we have winter. Uh, so, so as Persephone goes down, right, the weather turns bad. And when she comes back, uh, the weather comes good. So I, pomegranate might be interesting. Also, Lesur's first book was called uh, Persephone. So she definitely knows that. And she's definitely thinking about, I think, that cyclicalness, right? The cycles of seasons and how fruits might fit into it. Uh, Hannah, you wanted to talk specifically about this wacky scene uh, where the walls all fall away. Tell us about that scene and what's, what's interesting or what's a good question for you from there. She sees the houses as if the like outside, almost like a dollhouse where it's been ripped open and she can see all of the people inside and she sort of goes into these individual lives. And I think this shows us she's not thinking, oh, I'd rather hang out in nature, people suck. Like, I feel like this shows also a closeness and bond to um, humanity. And she has like this child. So she's looking at, at all of these potentials for how life can take place. I think that's, that's my great. thought. I think that's great. So not literally the walls disappear, but uh, she can just really see everything from where she is. So I bet there's a literal layer of like, literally she can see in their windows, but maybe figuratively, she's also imagining things she can't possibly know about those people. Uh, Phoebe, what did you think about this scene? I think um, she's kind of, yeah, like not, whenever she's like looking into these things, I think she is comparing it to the nature and saying like, look at how beautiful life could be. And even though thing, things are like really kind of horrible right now, like one day we can have this and one day everything will be back. And how we were talking about like the seasons and you said like, she's looking at like a scraggly tree right now. Like she's like, you know, things are kind of horrible and everything is falling apart, but once spring comes and it's beautiful again, maybe we'll be fine, you know? Hannah you had some discovery tell us about it I I was thinking about the next part with Annunciation where I was just like put to I put my small art history knowledge into play and was like oh duh okay I cool. ahead. <laughs> the title so the title is Annunciation I think it goes with what we we're talking about here uh what what did you what did you remember Hannah about the title you know, it's a podcast. I was like acting out the painting. This is where the Archangel Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary and tells her like that she has a child inside of her. These paintings are so cute. I love the Angel Gabriel. Have a tattoo of it. Him, her, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it has that. So this baby is not just like any baby. This baby is the Christ baby. Uh, and she's not just any mother, she's the Virgin Mary mother, right? She's the mother and this is the baby. Um, 
you do you think does it like can a poor woman whose husband works in a hot dog shop be the mother of the next Christ or something like it what do you think about that Phoebe do you have an idea Are you checking out the paintings? I was. I was looking at the paintings. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a that's a heavy thing. It is. It I don't is. I know I shouldn't let the the character of her the man yes. cloud this because he's just every, every time that she started to talk about him again, I was like, why are we back to him? I don't want to yeah. I don't want to hear about him. He's a horrible human being. The part that really got me was like when he well, said something, he was like, why don't you just get rid of it like everyone else does? And she was like, this is my child, not yours. This is my judgment, my everything. And it officially has nothing to do with you. Did you also read that her mother was like a, a touring lecturer on birth control in 1914? What a bunch of cool people, <laughs> right? So I think this pregnancy, there's also a note in the head note that uh, her husband was unenthusiastic, but she decided to have children. Not like she had children, she decided to, uh, Maridel Lesur. So I, yeah, I think there's something interesting happening in this story about men and women and pregnancy or men and women and children and family making. It almost doesn't matter uh, about his role. Like his role almost doesn't matter. This is her pregnancy. This is her um feminine experience for lack of a better word um and in that the, the walls falling down she's mostly looking at women and men right so she sees uh just a quick summary through she sees a girl making the bed uh from which she had just risen having dreamed of a young man who became her lover she looks before her looking glass in love with herself um that's interesting. So like, it's not the coupling that's interesting, but the dreaming of the coupling and feeling beautiful in her own body. That's really exciting stuff. Uh, the woman whose husband has just left in front of her and she smiles to herself while he's gone and like keeps waving at him even though he's leaving. So there's all these stages of womanhood that she's looking at. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the tree at the end. There, there's a lot going on at that tree. And I, I wonder what you think about the very last part. So she kind of has this, as you said, Hannah, a psychedelic experience kind of. So she looks out at the tree and there's a twirling, twirling, twirling. The tree is spinning, spinning, spinning. The leaves are moving. She's imagining it, the trunk spiraling down, it rocketing back up. There's an up and a down and a, up, right, and a twirl around. A lot of movement. Um, Far inside the vertical stem, there must be a movement, a river of sap rising from below and radiating outwards. So there's a lot of like up and out. There's a lot of down and out. There's a lot of twirl. Anyway, lots of motion. Uh, then the woman says, I'm sorry that you're pregnant. Then her husband does not come back again and she does not eat again. And then the last line is, before I came to this room, I went out and saw the pear tree standing motionless its leaves curled in the dark, its radiating body falling darkly like a stream far below into the earth. Phoebe, what is happening at the end? That is a great 
great question. I <laughs> you asked it. The, the way you just, I mean, I know the people listening can't see the hand gestures that were happening, oh, but it was crazy. Much. And that's pretty much how I felt at the end of this. I was like, what in the world is going on right now? Yeah. Hannah, do you have an idea of like the, the experience that she's just had? This is the tree of life. It's her connection between heaven and earth. The water is the subconscious slash spiritual realm. <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel like I know what the first looking at the tree is. It's the second looking at the tree that I have questions about. Oyden, having listened to that, what do you think? Do you have an idea? Uh, I think the tree uh, and yeah, I'm dead. Uh, I think it's her feelings, her beliefs. Yeah are getting crushed over so uh, i feel like her freedom her being able to speak up her to be able to refer to something as something alive has crushed over and ended at some point very quickly it happened very quickly oiden it goes from like feeling everything to just two little tiny sentences carl didn't come home and i had no supper i walked through the streets with their heavy heavy trees bending over the walks and the light shining from the houses and over the river, the mist rising. And then the tree is, is motionless. Ooh. What do you make of the tree stopping moving, Hannah? This is like this movie hot or this movie, this story has like a really scary undercurrent to it because it's like, she doesn't seem healthy. Yes. She She's is not hungry. getting enough food. Yeah. Um, so I feel like, that's that's my fear that I am bringing to that image. I am too. I am too. And the fact that it happens after an apology and after, again, noting oh, being alone and being hungry again, kind of, I got, a, I got a bad feeling. Phoebe, did you get a bad feeling? Not until just now. Yeah. Is she, did she die? See, I don't know. There's a radiating there's a body falling dark. Did the baby die? Did someone die? I don't know. Something resonating with the baby. Yeah, that makes sense to me too. That she would go from feeling like a bursting pomegranate with motion, motion, motion to stillness, not motion. That seems dire. I don't know what happened, but it seems dire. And I think the ending is supposed to be that way. Oyden, what do you think? Uh, I think it's maybe you know when you feel the baby moving inside of your tummy I and it's moving. I've like, heard about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's moving, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think the tree moving and shaking all around represents the baby. How the baby died, if I'm not wrong. It could be. I mean, who knows? Who knows? I think it's meant to be a little bit vague and it's meant to be a little bit open to interpretation. We talked a little bit on Wednesday about kind of words uh, separated from sense and I think that might be what's happening here too. Um, okay cool I'm with you. Oof. Okay we are out of time. Uh, Hannah's made a couple of recommendations to Paris's burning and uh, paintings of the Annunciation. I recommend The Dust Bowl by Ken Burns and a book called The Worst Hard Time by Timothy Egan. Great stories about the depression um, and a lot of the migrant kind of things we've been talking about today. Anything else, Phoebe? Did the Grapes of Wrath take place during the Dust Bowl? It sure did. 
I'll recommend that. It was a little, it was, it was a lot. I read it when I was in high school and I was like, oh, I hate this. But then after I read it, I was like, oh, that was actually pretty cool. So it's a good book. I recommend it. All right, Oyden, you got a recommendation? Uh, not that I can think of right now. Anything fun we should watch on TV this weekend that has nothing to do with this? <laughs> Definitely not. Okay. Take I don't know any TV shows at the moment. <laughs> I'm not watching. All right. My recommendation is take a nap. All right. Thank you so much, panelists, and thank you for listening.